You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. I'll be sharing some bite-sized brain science, thought-provoking questions, and mind-bending ideas about how our brains work, change, learn, and adapt, and how we can use the knowledge emerging from the field of neuroscience to open up new possibilities and make the progress we want in all areas of our lives. Welcome, and thank you for joining me today for a really interesting episode. In many regards, talking to my next guest was a bit of a homecoming. I don't often get to speak to many Irish people on my podcast, so it was really nice just on that simple level. However, Justin Caffrey is no run-of-the-mill lad from down the road. A proven multi-business entrepreneur, Justin has built and sold regulated companies with seven-figure exits. He's a certified investment and hedge fund director and a private equity professional. He also holds a master's degree in mindfulness-based interventions from UCD. And if that wasn't enough, he holds the prestigious All-Ireland All-Star Award as a thought leader in personal development. But far more than that, this conversation with a self-described recovering capitalist completely went against everything we discussed in our outline and took on its own beautiful shape. Justin's story is a very powerful one. And what's evident here is that the tragedy that came into his life has indeed given as well as taken away. For anyone who's wondered why things happen, I invite you to take a little time to listen to Justin's wisdom and let it percolate for a while. So Justin, great to meet you and thanks for joining me today. And yeah, let's let's have a conversation about interesting things. There's so many things I want to ask you about. So what we'll do is we'll start with this description that you've used as being a recovering capitalist. <laughs> can can you give me just an outline of what that means and um, how you became that? Sure. Uh, thanks for um, inviting me, Deirdre. It's nice to be here. Yeah, as a recovering capitalist, I suppose my my life has changed in, in so many ways, um, especially in the last um, seven or eight years. But my my career and my life started out really in, in, in London at 19 and, and going into the city of London and into banking, which, you know, London and New York were the epicenters of, of banking in the 90s. Um, and that's the culture that I really um, assimilated as I moved through my career. I certainly didn't come from from money or, or the type of background that would normally be associated with that type of career. But as you're an Irish person arriving in London, you you kind of get to fly below the radar because people don't really know what school you went to or who your family is or where you grew up. Um, so that allowed me to to move quite quickly in, in the right circles. Um, and I built a successful career in banking um, and, and I left um, the banking world at an incredibly young age of, of 23 or 24 to set up one of my own firms um, with, with a couple of pals um, and we built those businesses very successfully over the next few years and ended up employing a couple of hundred people and, and running various different companies in, in different parts of the financial services market and sold out of that businesses and built other businesses and operated in private equity, sat on the boards of, of a couple of funds and I'm a certified hedge fund director so I can sit and sit on the boards of very complex investment strategies and structures. Um, but there was always something deeply lacking in terms of 
uh, that world. Um, and, and I think uh, very much in line with the fact that it was very hard to ever see what value one brings. You know, when you operate in financial services, it's a, it's a zero-sum game. You know, you have to win and somebody has to lose. And um, the, my sense of self and my sense of connection to something bigger diminish greatly over that time because you become very materialistically focused and um it was then after um losing our, our second child joshua in, in 2010 um not that i paid attention to it completely at that stage because i didn't grieve properly but a couple of years after that in a board meeting i had a panic attack and that was really my my body and my mind and my nervous system's way of telling me it's time to slow down and pay attention um, and maybe come to terms a little bit about who I am and what's going on in my life. So that really brought quite a dynamic shift. Um, and and I, I ended up in therapy with a, with a psychiatrist who, who is a phenomenal Indian doctor um, living in Ireland who, who I was in um, therapy with for, for four months. And um, then I became his, his student and his understudy for, for the next um, two and a half years. And then I arrived in my boardroom and met my shareholders and told them all I was leaving because I wanted to operate in a world of coaching and therapy. Um, and they all thought I'd completely lost my mind or that I was lying and intending to set up another firm. Um, so I'm out of it, but it's kind of like stepping off the, 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 um, the hamster wheel. And, and because I know I was a workaholic, um, I'm always very close to the hamster wheel and, and it's very easy to get sucked back in again. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm very consciously aware of making sure that I manage my time well around that. Yeah, actually, this, this is probably going to go off in a slightly different direction um, than we had uh, initially talked about. But what you've just said there has brought up something for me about, you know, the nature of productivity and our addiction to it. And that, that does seem to be one of the things that people get hooked on and they get trapped by this idea that we have to be doing, we have to be producing. And is that maybe something that is connected to, is that one of our ways of embodying capitalism? Uh, absolutely. I, I, you know, I think, I think in many ways, you know, our, our desire to be productive ha has kind of two interconnecting parts. O on one hand, I do think that human beings need to have a reason for being. I think we need to have some sense of, of, of structure in order to feel that we're we're, we have some validity in terms of our contribution to society. But then the other strand to that is what happens when our needs are not necessarily fulfilled at a younger age? And how does that how does that spin into work? And, and if you look at the clinical studies and the data around unfulfilled um, children and, and parental relationships in terms of, of addictive substances such as alcohol and, and, and narcotics, and then, you know, continuously um, having broken chains of relationship. The same data really applies in terms of not having those needs met when we're younger. So a lot of the times people can be striving on a constant basis to actually still appease or please a parent, even if that relationship is broken and not relevant and consciously that's not what they're doing. But because they've had that bias from a very young age of trying to be noticed and trying to be seen, they carry that into the rest of their lives. And that's most definitely 
a trend that I noticed um, and I can I can link so much in terms of my addictive behavior to work back to that challenge as as a child of, of not being seen and heard. And these mm. are really fundamental needs. And I can sit here, of course, cognitively and logically now speaking to you and say, of course, I can see the reality of that. Mm-hmm. But where it might bite for me is, you know, I'm I, I advise um, some colleagues on 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 the the, the kind of the market and, and the world of of cryptocurrency at the moment, really as a as a as an aside project for fun, and I'm constantly they're constantly teasing me about getting involved in investing, and I'm saying all the time, as much as I would like to, it would be like injecting heroin into my arm, that I know that I can sit back and enjoy the conversation i can enjoy the deep research and, and my deep insights into into a complex market that's ever evolving but equally i know that if i went into it i would go back into my my vein of appe- appealing to the need for material success within that world mm-hmm. and there's always that danger it's always there for me ever present yeah, yeah, it, it's such a delicate balance, isn't it? To be able to, I guess, have a, a fulfilling way of contributing, uh, but at the same time, not necessarily needing to have something that we can quantify. Yeah, it really is. And I think for me, in many ways, the most important thing is to have a sense of perspective and you know, spiritual awareness of my dark side, my light side, and where do I rest my presence on an ongoing basis? Um, and I do think that we still always have to check ourselves. You know, we still always have to ask the question, what is my motivation here? What am I actually trying to achieve? Um, and I posted something on social media the other day about, you know, Christmas and the importance of being aware that that many people struggle because they they, they have lost children or, or 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 maybe have had miscarriages so we must have a broader social awareness that there are people who are not necessarily going to feel wonderfully overjoyed by christmas and and, and you know for me and for for others having lost a child i'm not i don't have a negative feeling about it if anything i can be quite positive but it's just an idea to help people reflect a little bit and one of the things mm-hmm. i said in the in the, in the message was also that, you know, we're, we're, we're so caught in this idea all the time of telling people everything that we are and everything that we do and not asking other people, how are you? You know, how are you right now? Can I, can I help you? Are you okay? It's all tell, tell, tell and sell, sell, sell. And we're right in the eye of that storm at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, a, a very profound observation on our, our culture. And, you know, what is it that's going to take to change that, do you think? How are we going to shift that? I think it's, I think it's really complicated because one of the great challenges, of course, is you must have a sense of your own bias in order to understand how mm-hmm. you can avoid bringing yourself back into the continuous trap that you've always been caught in. And 
even when you have a sense of your own bias, your capacity to check that is really difficult. I think a lot of the times for me and from what I would see in my work, it usually takes somebody to have a profound moment in their life to 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 do some damage. But I, I, I really think that it's it's always like the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, somebody might come to work with me because, you know, if there's been a a tragic death or, or a company that's failed or, you know, I, I get called in um to help people who who maybe <laughs> can't be seen to be under psychiatric or psycho- psychological care because of their influence in business. And I have a pretty good understanding of, of the business side and vo- board responsibilities, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I might end up working with somebody like this, which is highly secretive, and they're desperately trying to find their pathway so that they can sustain and maintain their obligations to their board or the company or the protocols within the business that they're working in. What I always find interesting is explaining to them at the start that they won't necessarily go back to the way that they were and they may actually find a path that's really quite different. And that can be quite scary and daunting for people, even when I would say to them, but my belief is that you would find a much better sense of yourself mm-hmm. and a deeper sense of happiness. But that may come at the behest of your desire not to continue on the path that you're on because it's highly likely that what you were doing up until that point where you actually encountered psychological or neurological problems is actually one of the biggest contributing factors for the reason why you're there. So the change that people need to make is often quite profound and can be desperately scary. Yeah, uh, totally, totally. Um, What you're saying brings to mind um, a quote from Napoleon Hill. I can't remember the exact wording, but he says something to the effect of, Nothing great is ever achieved without great sacrifice. Mm. And I think a lot of people take that to mean, you know, the the blood, sweat and tears, the hard work. But sometimes I think that that sacrifice is actually the person that we were in order to become the person that we might be. Absolutely. Un- unquestionably. And and even if I if I reflect on it in terms of my own life, the the fact that my son died and Joshua died just before his first birthday. I can actually speak about that now as a profound gift because what he actually allowed me to become was a better father to his brother and a better husband to his mother. And without his death, I think I would have derailed, but I would have derailed without any sense of a connection to something bigger, without any sense of, of myself or, or, or a feeling of, of a higher power or spirituality. Um, and he brought that to me so yes within the great tragedy of some of the most horrendous events within our lives there is this opportunity to see something quite beautiful and and if you can be open to it and embrace it and it and it doesn't unfortunately it doesn't necessarily happen at the same time so there's there's Mm -hmm. often quite a time in between but i do think some of the most incredible realizations in our lives happen out of the most tragic events and and I, and covid is a great example of that it's 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 shifted mm-hmm. the dynamics so much in terms of what companies are doing and you know like in in the in the US now as they as they frame it the great resignation you know people have woken up to how how they want to live and it's not about money 
which is there's fantastic. another way isn't this the thing you know we we I keep, again, I can never remember the exact wording of a quote, but uh, Richard Boyatzis, he's said something like, how are you going to get beyond the box if you don't know you're in one? Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's what something like COVID shows us, isn't it? That we have this framework that we're just running along these little tracks. And then this comes along and our mind jumps the tracks. and We've got something else to look at. And we've got a bigger, bigger vision of um, what things can be. hundred <laughs> percent. You know, I... I teach a program on on psychological safety, and I developed mm-hmm. it. Started developing it before the pandemic, um, and and desperately thinking, how do I sell this now? Because this is really hard to sell to people. The whole idea of of allowing employees to feel that it's okay to be to be vulnerable, for leaders to be vulnerable, and as such, to encourage people to actively be willing to make mistakes in order to create a greater level of innovation. Um. But I was working with a top four um, accountancy firm who who are thinking about implementing it, which is which is astounding because um, their work cultures would be very far from it. But it mm. what, what was key to that was um, one of the most recent surveys that that was carried out in 2019, in 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 a series of questions that they asked 3,000 middle and high level managers. Um, one of the questions was. Um, have you, are you now or have you recently been close to or feeling burnt out? And and 68% of the respondents said yes. And the other question was in terms of um, the values and feeling noticed and seen by your company, how likely is that to influence your decision to leave? And 28% of respondents said one of the main reasons why they would leave is because they don't feel that the company pays them attention or is interested in them. And this is mm. this is really especially prevalent in, in, in the millennials and, and below because they're smart. They figured it out. Like I, I was I was sold on the idea in the nineties that you had to be, you know, dragging your yourself out of the office late at night and mm-hmm. then party with you know your clients and then get back into the office again in the morning and, and work on two-hour sleep which is completely ridiculous and um, so i think there's a real dynamic shift in terms of people's awareness that that will hopefully change that whole idea of how we work and COVID is in some ways of course in many ways not but there are advantageous um opportunities for people and i think the way we work is one of them Yeah. So when people get to this stage, if we just rewind a little bit to, I want to pick up on something you were talking about earlier. Um, When people get to a stage where they have had something impact them greatly and it, it causes them to stop and think and whether they go, you know, it becomes a part of the great resignation or whether it becomes, you know, the the recovery or whatever it becomes for them. Um, what is it that you see people trying to use to facilitate that? Do you mean in terms of when when they've had the event, how do mm. they use that then to, to be the catalyst for change? Yeah, it's almost like, you know, there's that phase where, you know, that idea has dropped. If there's something is going on in there and then it's it's almost like you're trying to get out of find the door out of the room in the dark. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I, you know, I think, especially when it comes to to people struggling with with anxiety and and stress, um, 
which which would be the typical things that that arrive on my doorstep and and quite often then in addition to that is you know autoimmune issues that that have that have come out of that as well and and when you deal with when you deal with with kind of alpha clients you have to be a bit of a private investigator to to cut mm. to the bones of what's really wrong um, so can i just clarify when you say alpha clients you mean top level executives is that right top level executives who are you know super driven super determined mm. and you know have a bit of a killer be killed attitude but but you know all of a sudden facing facing vulnerabilities and mm. and what's interesting about these people when they face vulnerabilities and the learning that's available to all of us is that they really just have a higher propensity for for pain and suffering because going back many times you know they're still trying to appeal to a mother or a father or whatever so they so they strive on a lot further but as as an example i was working with somebody recently who um who works in the hedge fund sector and very successful career um very good um um upbringing you know um, wealthy family went to the right school went to the right university, studied a law degree, then went into investment banking and 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 then into into the hedge fund market. But um this client came to me with a complaint of reflux. So he heard me talking on, I don't know, something online and I'd mentioned reflux and how this is connected to our autoimmune response and in many ways can be a sign of our nervous system. Um, trying to communicate with us so he his connection to me was i'm really worried that i have reflux and i've read that it's potentially um carcinogenic because of the ongoing damage that it's doing to the lining of your stomach and i was wondering if that's something that you could help me with so we started having a conversation and i said to him well how, how are you in like stress and anxiety and you know how does all that mm-hmm. fit with you and he said oh, you know it's okay i'm i manage it pretty well it's you know I have I have a couple of kids and busy life and but um you know I, I think I'm okay with that and it's only over the course of you know about an hour and a half of of delving deeper into this person that we get to identify that if you go right back to his childhood he has um profoundly strong memories of of being assaulted by his father at a very young age mm. and um you know, physically lashing out to him, but doing so to a, to a six or seven year old, and and how that deeply ingrained a sense of his behaviour going forward. Mm. But then it also then brought us on a thread through his desire to keep pushing through and completing things no matter what. So he went to college, he finished his law degree, but he never wanted to do any of these things. But he kept finishing them all the time, over and over again, and eventually then culminates with a person feeling that you know maybe as you rightly said i am in the box all this time i thought i'm being smarter i'm outside the box but maybe i am in the box and the reason why i'm in my life right now is because i'm trying to fulfill how i believe other people want me to be as opposed to what would it be like if i was trying to live my own life and for for people, this is really shocking when they get to this point. It's really exciting to work with people uh, when, in, in this type of work because 
the realization is is astounding. And you're talking about sometimes some very intelligent, capable people who are able to then shift their attention to do more often than not good things in the world, as opposed yeah. to not to say that these people are doing bad things, not at all. But when you're working in a capitalist environment, um, and then you may be able to bring some altruistic approach to your work, it can be quite mm-hmm. astounding. Yeah, yeah, there's something there, isn't there, that, you know, it goes from being that kind of competitive environment to being a contributing environment. Yeah, absolutely. And and like, Mm. what's it like to wake up in the morning and think, I need to be really productive today. And I I have this problem all the time. I have to have conversations with myself at least every three or four days. (laughs) I think, uh, who am I being productive for? Who's watching right now? I'm still working for myself. I haven't worked for anybody for 20 years. And so you you have to catch like who who am I trying to appeal to right now? Yeah, yeah, and I I think that that is the one thing, isn't it? You know, that this process, this kind of uh, untangling of this this ball, this knot of whatever it is, that that's at the end of that, that's where we come to that fine thread that runs through all all the good things really that that can lead us to the thing that we're supposed to do. Absolutely. My my mantra in, in, in all that I approach with people is, is I say to them at the start, well, I want you to try and learn and understand. And this will feel so alien to you when I say it to you right now. But I want you to learn what it's like to do less and then accomplish more. Now, slowing down and paying attention is an astounding use of your time. Oh, yeah. Justin, I think that that is a really nice note to leave this on. That has been a fantastic conversation. We got absolutely nowhere near most of the things that I wanted to cover, (laughs) but that just means that we'll have to do it again sometime. Love to. (laughs) So thank you so much uh, again for your time and for sharing that with us. It has been, yeah, it's been a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. Hey, before you go, I want to take a moment to say thanks for tuning into this episode of the Ambition Incubator podcast and just check to make sure you know that you can join me each week for a deep dive, dynamic, collaborative reading of some business classics. You'll find all the information you need when you register for free at ambitionincubator.com forward slash BBC. I'll see you there.